Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bubbly Thoughts Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Bromley, and can you believe it? We are on day 19 of Buzztober. If you're wondering what Buzztober is, you've got 18 days worth of uh, episodes that you can listen to so far, and plenty more to go. I didn't feel like doing the math for that, forgive me. But um, basically what Buzztober is, is throughout the entire month of October, I, every single day, will upload a podcast episode of me reading some of my favorite scary stories on No Sleep Reddit. Um, And if you're wondering what No Sleep Reddit is, it's basically where people submit their fictional um, horror fiction, if you will. And it's super, super great writing. I love it. And I just kind of wanted to get into the spooky mood because if you didn't know, I love scary stuff. And I just wanted to do something fun for the month of October for all of you. Um, so as a disclaimer, like I have to give this in the beginning, I know I do it every episode, but just in case there's anybody new tuning in, and this is the first episode that you're listening to, um, if you're not into scary stuff at all, go ahead and don't listen to any of my episodes during the month of October. I understand it's not for everyone. Um, but if you have an interest in getting into the spooky mindset, just keep listening, uh, and you will be in store. What? What did I just say? You will be... (laughs) You will be in store for some great content. Is that that doesn't even sound right? You've you've got I've got some great content in store for you. Holy shit, that took me three tries. I need to stop drinking. Anywho, okay. So, but as a disclaimer as well, um, I try to give trigger warnings where I can. But guys, it, it is really hard because these stories are meant to be unsettling and disturbing and horrific and scary and leave you feeling kind of funky after. Um, so this is your warning ahead of time. If, um, if you're not in the right mindset to listen to something like that, don't listen to these episodes throughout the month of October. It's absolutely okay. Um, but if you just want to get into the spooky mood with me, keep listening, all that good stuff. So we'll go ahead and kick us off like usual with the first story, which will be a two sentence horror story, just like always. And you guys know I love these because it evokes that emotion that usually takes a lot more than two sentences to convey. So I'm excited to kick us off with this one today. This was written in by user Wubber. Wubber. Some of these usernames are hilarious. Um, but anyway, okay. So this this one, I'm getting back into serious mode now. Okay. Don't worry, you won't feel a thing. He was right. Since that night on the operating table, I haven't felt a damn thing. Ooh, ooh, so good. And this can be interpreted a couple different ways. Like maybe, you know, they just gave you some pain meds and so you don't feel anything, but maybe it's like, oh, I'm actually dead, you know? Anyway, so we'll go ahead and move on to our short story of the episode. And this one was written in by user Guzarish. Okay. It's entitled, The Other Children. Our small town had one simple rule. Never talk to, never play with the children on the other side. They lived across our town. We curious children never even questioned why we were not allowed to play with them, because they were odd. Not even Mike, the bully, showed any interest in breaking the rule. I have better work, he would say when questioned. He lied. He was scared. We all were. The, uh, the other children had strange habits. They would play at very odd times. If you listen carefully, you can hear their laughs, screams, muffled whispers. 
They were much louder and clearer during bedtime. My mom hated talking about them. She even made a rule. Even if you hear them, ignore them. We were not allowed to discuss anything related to them at home. The old man, Gary, who lived at the corner of the town, would often tell us stories about the weird kids. Weird dresses they wore, weird games they played. Gary once told us about one of the games where they would force one of the kids to close their eyes and recite some chants, and then they would ditch him alone, nowhere to be found. But one thing I hated most about the other kids was that they never obeyed their moms. They won't go home in spite of orders passed pass by their moms. We, on the other side, within a few seconds of instructions passed, would run back to the graveyard and slip right back into our respective coffins. I like our town's rule. The other kids are really weird. So that one was great because it had that really interesting twist at the end. It's weird. I know I kind of sounded weird when I was reading it. Um, it was written a little odd, so I kind of stumbled a little bit through it, but um, I liked the twist. I thought it was great, you know, totally different than how I thought it was going to go. So the last one that I'm going to read to you guys tonight um, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, is, or is written in by user Pippinacious and is entitled The Quiet Neighbor. Just about the first thing anyone new to the neighborhood learned was to avoid Bud Fillimore. Cantankerous, territorial, and fueled by what seemed to be a deep-seated hatred for just about everything, he was the kind of man that childhood nightmares were made of. Although he'd only lived here for a few months longer than us, by the time my family moved in across the street from the Fillimore house, his reputation was already firmly established. When other neighbors came by with their cookies and casseroles to welcome us, and see me and my brother, just nine and 11, they'd pull my parents aside and offer hushed warnings. Keep them away from that nasty little man across the way, Mrs. Devon said. He can't stand children. My son, Bill, swears Bud tried to run him down in his car, Mr. Crane said. He'll look for any excuse to yell at them. He says the most terrible things, Mrs. Paul said. My parents thanked them, but I don't think they quite believed them. My mom especially wasn't fond of gossip, and she tried to take such rumors with a grain of salt until she could make her own decisions. She didn't have to wait long. My brother Scotty and I were outside tossing a baseball back and forth one Saturday morning when Scotty tossed it too hard and high. It sailed over my head, bounced in the street, and rolled to a stop at the very edge of Mr. Fillimore's yard. Both of us had overheard our neighbor's warnings and were hesitant to even look at the house, much less approach it. Go get it, Liz, Scotty said, nudging my shoulder. But you threw it, I replied. So you missed it. I couldn't reach it. My whining had no effect. He pushed me towards the road, and then after checking both ways, I began to creep across toward our ball. I had almost reached it. I just had to take a couple more steps, and it would have been within my grasp when the front door of the house flew open. What the hell are you doing? A stout man with thin graying hair came by bursting outside and stomped across his lawn towards me. My ball, I tried to say, pointing to it. You brats throwing things at my house. Think it would be funny to break a window? N no, I glanced over my shoulder to see if Scotty half poised to run inside and whimpered. Get out of here, Mr. Fillimore snapped. Can I just, no. Before I could react, he scooped up the baseball which had barely been touching his grass and stormed back inside. The whole front of his house seemed to shake with the force of his slammed door. It was the first of what would be many run-ins with everyone's least favorite neighbor. Our parents tried to talk to him about his behavior, 
but he just told them to keep their nosy little shits off his lawn and away from his house if he didn't want any trouble. Dad thought about calling the cops on him, but as mom became fond of saying, there's no law against being rude. So we were just told to try and be more careful. He must not have always been such a bull, mom said over dinner about a month after we moved in. He's married, you know. Dad scoffed at the idea. Oh yeah, how do you know? Dolores Devon was by again for a chat and it came up. Bud wears a ring and she says she sees Mrs. Fillimore looking out the window from time to time, but the poor woman never comes outside. She thinks she heard Bud say it was cancer once. Poor lady, sick and married to that, Dad said. Terrible, isn't it? But it does explain a bit about him. He's just trying to keep things quiet and peaceful around his house. Yeah, sure, Scotty muttered and Mom frowned at him. He was probably very sad and lashes out without meaning to. He's an asshole, Scotty said. Language, Dad warned. But yeah, he is. Whatever his reasoning, we all agreed it would be best to just try and avoid Bud Fillmore. Scotty and I were extra careful to keep all of our toys well within the confines of our own yard when we played outside. I also couldn't help but keep a wary eye on the house across the street, just in case he decided to be extra crazy and we had to run for it. That's when I started to notice Mrs. Fillmore. Almost every time Scotty and I were out and I happened to glance at their house, I would see a tall, slender, figured outline behind the sheer curtains in one of the upstairs windows. While I couldn't get a very good look at her, I figured it couldn't be anyone but the missus. Mr. Fillmore didn't have anyone else. She never banged on the window or shouted at us like her husband. She'd just stand there watching us. I like to imagine that she was a nice lady, a quiet neighbor who just enjoyed seeing kids at play. I remember my mom saying Mrs. Fillmore was sick, and I felt sorry that she was trapped in her house with her horrible husband, so I tried to be nice and smile and wave once. Just once. Mr. Fillmore appeared on his front stoop and yelled at me for being a pest until it retreated inside. When I peeked out the living room window later, Mrs. Fillmore wasn't in her usual spot anymore. Eventually, we got used to Mr. Fillmore glowering at us as he drove slowly past, his short temper and his loud voice. It was such a regular thing that our fear turned to caution, turned eye-rolling dismissiveness. Bud doesn't own the street. You kids go out and be kids, and if he has a problem with it, I'll deal with him, Dad said. After that, we started to be a little less careful with our things and a little more free with our laughter. We lost a few balls to the Fillmore yard, one or two Frisbees, but nothing we really cared too much about. Nothing until Scotty's remote-controlled helicopter. It had been a birthday present, and we were both eager to try it out. As soon as we finished supper, we raced out to the front lawn, where Scotty prepared for the helicopter's first flight. Under my brother's inexperienced and clumsy guidance, the helicopter lifted slowly from the ground and staggered drunkenly through the air. In his excitement to keep it aloft, Scotty didn't even realize it was heading right for the Fillmore's yard until it was too late. Scotty! I tugged at his arm to try to turn it off, of course, but it only made things worse. The helicopter took a nosedive straight into the hedges under Mr. Fillmore's bay window. Scotty frantically wiggled the controls, but the helicopter's blade was stuck fast in the thick greenery. As if he'd been waiting for us to slip up, the front door was flung open and he practically pounced on the toy. What have I told you? He bellowed. Before we could argue, he had already disappeared back into the house. Upstairs, the curtain fluttered just so, and I knew Mrs. Fillmore was watching. I wanted to call up to her and ask her to get the helicopter back, but Scotty grabbed my wrist and dragged me behind him to find mom and dad. When our parents went over later, he refused to come to the door. Don't worry, kids, they assured us. Next time we see him, we'll sit down and have a real discussion about this. 
That wasn't enough for Scotty, though. I followed him up to his room and sat on the end of the bed while he paced back and forth while ranting about how unfair it all was. He was fuming and furious, and he wants his birthday present back now. But how, I asked. He paused, his gaze sliding to his window in the house beyond. We're going to take it. It was a childish, simple, stupid plan with no thought to consequence or punishment. We were going to break into the Fillmore house and get all of our things back. We'll do it when he goes out next. I can figure out how to get the lock open. It can't be that hard. Then we just have to find our stuff. What about Mrs. Fillmore? She never leaves. You can distract her or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I don't know, Scotty, I said uneasily. I don't want to disrupt a poor sick lady for a few toys. Don't worry, we'll just be in and out. She probably won't even notice we're there. I doubted that, but I had a hard time saying no to my big brother. Scotty put his plan into action the very next afternoon. We were playing a game of horse in the driveway when Mr. Fillimore's garage opened and his car chugged to life. He was wearing his customary scowl as he drove by. The moment he turned the corner, Scotty chucked our basketball off to the side and bolted across the street. I checked to see if Mrs. Fillimore was in the window, and when I looked, I saw no sign of her, and I followed. Scotty's idea of getting the lock open turned out to be using a small rock to break the window pane on the door above the latch. It was something he'd seen in a movie or something. Immediately, I had images of flashing red and blue lights and handcuffs, and my stomach turned sharply, but my brother whispered that it would be fine. He can't prove it was us. Everyone on the street hates him. He sounded so confident that all I could do was nod. Scotty reached carefully through the broken glass, careful not to cut himself, and found the deadbolt. It clicked out of place and pushed the door open, letting us into the Fillimore house. I clung to the back of Scotty's shirt as we tiptoed across the kitchen. It was spotless, obsessively so, and smelled of cleaning supplies. Every window had something tacked over it, old blankets and towels, blocking out the light and afternoon sun and casting the room into a gloomy darkness that made the room really seem small and oppressive. I swallowed hard and forced myself to follow Scotty. Every room was the same, fastidiously clean, organized, and shrouded in shadows. The bay window that I knew he'd spied on us all from had a big hole cut into the heavy velveteen material, just big enough for someone to see out of. I could just picture him sitting on his plastic-covered couch watching us, waiting for us to get close. It was enough to make me shudder. We cleared the hole downstairs pretty quickly, but there was no sign of our things. Shit, Scotty hissed. He must keep it upstairs. But Mrs. Fillimore, just stay close and stay quiet, okay? I nodded too nervous to say anything else anyway. We had only gotten up a few steps when the floorboards on the second floor creaked. Scotty immediately pressed himself against the wall and motioned for me to do the same. We listened to the soft padding of footsteps crossing from run one room to another. Scotty, I whispered, grabbing his sleeve with both hands. Let's just go. No, he went too far this time. I'm going to get my helicopter. Door hinges squeaked from somewhere upstairs, and the footsteps stopped. Scotty pulled his arm from me and scampered up the remaining steps. Reluctantly, I went too. We found a guest bedroom first. It was all muted colors and magazine-quality furniture, void of any warmth or personality. Like it was just set up for show, never intended for use. At least it was a bit brighter up there, and the windows only had a few layers of sheer curtains over them, enough to obscure visibility but still let in light. The second room was obviously Mr. Fillimore's. It was the most, most lived-in looking room of them all. And even then, that was only because there were some pictures hanging on the walls and some personal items on the nightstand. 
The bed was meticulously made. All the clothing, most of which was masculine, hung neatly in the closet. There wasn't even any stray hairs in the brush of the vanity. I wondered how someone could live in such a cold, lifeless house. There was only one room left upstairs, the one Mrs. Fillimore must have gone into. Its door stood half open. Scotty and I traded a look, his determined, mine silently pleading with him to go. He took a step towards the door. I shook my head and grabbed at the back of his shirt again. He brushed me off and placed the flat of his hand on the door, pushing it open slowly. Inside the room was almost empty except for a large vanity against one wall. A framed wedding picture was on it and I recognized Mr. Fillimore despite being younger and thinner. In front of the vanity posed on a tall stool was a mannequin. She was wearing what I thought of a 50s housewife dress. She was wearing what I thought of a 50s housewife dress. White with little pink and green flowers all over it, a string of pearls, and a blonde wig carefully combed back into a bun. Her featureless face was fixed on the mirror in front of her. Scotty's brow wrinkled, showing the same confusion I'd felt. We'd both heard Mrs. Fillimore walk into this room, but there was no one here. Let's just go, I begged, a cold sweat starting to trickle down the back of my neck. Scotty shifted his weight, obviously torn, and the floorboard beneath his feet groaned. The mannequin's head turned sharply toward us. Scotty leapt back and with a yelp, an arm thrown out protectively in front of me. Liz, his voice was trembling, run. I stumbled back down the hall on the legs that didn't want to work. I could hear Scotty stomping along behind me and behind him, a rapid skittering. We skidded the top of the stairs and grabbed the railing to keep from falling headlong down the steps. While I righted myself, I dared to glance back down the hallway. It was empty. Where did it go? Something thudded against the ceiling. We both looked up and screamed. The mannequin was crawling spider-like over our heads. She wrenched her head completely around, turning her blank face towards us and flittered towards the wall. She started to descend the whole time facing us. I was still screaming when Scotty hooked his arm around my waist and hauled me down the steps. We crashed at the landing, tripping over one another, and we could hear the click of fiberglass on wood as she pursued us. I was crying, scrambling on my hands and knees across the floor, and my brother was shouting for me to get up to go. He grabbed the back of my shirt and practically threw me down the hall. And then Scotty was shrieking. I spun. The mannequin was crouched on the last step, one arm outstretched. She had her fingers wrapped around Scotty's ankle. They were tightening, tightening, until his bones started to crunch beneath her grip. He kicked at her with his other leg, but it did nothing. She started to drag him back down towards the stairs. Scotty, I screamed, but before I could move, he looked up at me and shook his head furiously. Liz, he could barely get the word out of his mouth through the fear and pain masked on his face. Run! I wanted to stay. I wanted to grab his hand and pull with all my might and drag him out of that house with me. But he shouted again, run, run, over and over until the words became a garbled mess of howling, terrified cries that crashed me out of the same door we had come through. It was the last time I ever saw my big brother. No trace of Scotty was ever found. My parents searched, police searched. There were dogs and special agents and tons of time, money, and energy that were put into trying to find him. But none of it mattered. It was as if he had simply vanished. Bud Fillmore wasn't a suspect very long. And no evidence and no history of any kind of criminal record. He was let go. Scotty was dubbed a missing child, reduced to a single box of paperwork that was all too soon moved to the cold case stacks. No one believed me when I told them what really happened. 
They all said Scotty must have been kidnapped on our way back from Mr. Fillmore's house, and I was too young to really understand it, that I had gotten confused and, in my fear, made up some story using the scary thing I'd just encountered. Mr. Fillmore's mannequin belonged to his late wife, Sharon. He kept it after she passed because it reminded him of her. Sometimes he'd move it around and put it in the window, but it wasn't alive. You understand that, right, Liz? My therapist was fond of asking. I told her everything that she wanted to hear, even if I knew it was a lie. The adults preferred it that way. It was easier for all of us. Maybe that was why I never showed anyone the note that had been left taped on the door, typed in anonymous that just said, I tried to keep you away. I didn't think it would have changed anything. I knew, though, and I never doubted myself or the fact that Scotty had sacrificed himself for me. And up until Mr. Fillimore packed up and moved a few years later, I would sit in my brother's room and I would stare out the window at his house. I would watch the second-story window, waiting for the telltale dark figure to appear behind the curtains, waiting for the quiet neighbor that everyone said didn't exist. Holy smokes! I don't, okay, I don't know if I just read that story a really long time ago. I don't remember this at all. Obviously, I picked it, like, I read it at some point, but I was, like, if you could tell the parts where I was, like, shocked because I had no idea what was going to happen. That was great. Like, I think they should make a movie out of that. I loved it. I'm just, like, taken aback. Oh, my God. Also, like, sad. Like, sorry, Scotty. Shoot, that's so sad. Um, But, like you know, what a good big brother sacrificing himself for his sister. But this poor thing, she's like totally alone with knowing what really happened. That's so sad. Um, I don't know. I thought that was a great story. I hope you guys liked it as much as I did. Some of the wording again was a little funky. So I had two in a row where the wording was like a little funky. So I stumbled a little bit reading it. Um, anyway, wow. I, I thought that was great. I'll go ahead and wrap it up there, but um, it's already been like the longest episode so far, I think. But I really hope you guys enjoyed and uh, tune in tomorrow for day 20 of Buzztober. And until then, stay buzzed and stay bubbly.